Welcome everyone to another Ag Watchers live episode. Uh, a bit of a last minute one that we sort of decided to put together last night. Uh, Matt and I were talking about it last night and we thought, well, why don't we do one about what the impact of uh, an invasion of Ukraine would be on agricultural markets and, 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 and even in the wider sort of economy. Uh, I guess the intention, unfortunately, was to do it was to be more of a theoretical discussion, not uh, the reality that we're now seeing at the moment, which is just just really really sad, isn't it, Matt? That we've uh, that, that it's come to this, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, anyone that follows the TEM website would see that we've had a few bits and pieces coming up. But even as early as this morning, I was just thinking about the potential longer-term ramifications for trade between Australia and Russia and, and did a quick look at what that situation looked like. Um, and it just seems to, you know, that kind of analysis seems to just be so unimportant now when we've got, like I said, friends and colleagues um, that, are, that are facing this kind of a, a risky and dangerous situation. Yeah, so, so I, guess, uh, without, I guess without further ado, uh, we've got Elena and uh, Masha. Hi, guys. Uh, Hello. First of all, like our thoughts are, are with you guys. Hi. And uh, look, we're, we're glad you can make it on, but we really only want you to be on if it's completely safe for you to be here. Um, Probably connection could, uh, I could lose connection every moment because I'm evacuating my son from Kiev right now. Uh, today I woke up at five o'clock in the morning from the huge uh, explosive. Uh, explosion next to Kiev. So in a few minutes it, it was another one. So I uh, take a decision to dry, uh, drive uh, to the west part of Ukraine and if I will, uh, if, it, if it will be possible to cross uh, Poland border. And that, that's how, how, how because how, I, I, I book at the fly, but uh, all airports are closed as for today. And uh, a few seconds ago, I got a message that Russia uh, blocked uh, Azov ports, uh, both for Ukraine and for Russia. I think they will try to attack from the seaside to Ukrainian seaports. They will try to attack Mariupol from seaside. And so you're, uh, Elena, you're, you're traveling now in the car heading west, as you said. Um, what's, are there... Are there a lot on the roads? Is there are there are there kind of traffic problems, or is there, are, you, are you able uh, yes, to get out sure, freely? Sure. People try to leave Kiev. Uh, I'm all, uh, three hours when I am trying to leave the city. Usually, it takes uh, an hour probably to cross to, to to drive across the city. But uh, I'm already three hours, and I'm just now see the city border. And, and how far away are you from the Polish border? Lots of people. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just, just now staying uh, and the, uh, on the streets trying to turn right. And I see a grocery store, big one grocery store, and a huge uh, line of people who try to buy uh, food stocks to make a storage, probably. And yes all destinations from Kyiv. Um, as well, there is, there is an information that uh, our machines came across uh, Ukrainian-Belarusian border. They come from Belarus to Ukraine. Yeah, that's been, that's been on. There's been some, um, some footage of what, well, what's claimed to be Belarusian tanks crossing the, the northern border no, there um, to, to join you know, with Russian forces is what 
Yep. It's Russian tanks. Russian. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, Russian tanks from Belarus. I think is the reports now. Yep. Okay. So, so, so yeah, I guess. Elena, I hope I hope all is well. I think so. How how long are you? What is the distance from you to? It could uh, take probably Poland. Uh, 14, 14 hours. Okay, it's long time. Hours driving. If, if, but, I, but, if I if I if it will be possible, I will uh, drive at least I w would sleep. But uh, if I will try to uh, tired, I will make a. A stop for sleeping because it's hard to drive, especially in such conditions. It's in such uh, mood. Yeah, I think I think the important thing is to stay safe, Elena. It's a long drive, and and that's the main thing is just just stay safe there because it's obviously a volatile mm -hmm. situation. I think we've got a Masha on as well. Yeah. Ma yeah. Hello, guys. Well, I'm not in Kiev. I am in Dnipro, which is uh, like I, I was very optimistic to be honest. Like on on that previous conversation, I was very optimistic, but now I have to say that I was wrong. Yeah, all that is happening, and Look, uh, I, I, I think Masha, we were all wrong, or a lot of us were wrong, in that we <laughs> uh, well, we thought there would be some yeah. common sense from from Russia. Yes, I was hoping for that, but or, unfortunately, or, or at least, at the, at the very least, that, <clears throat> that any kind of conflict would be, um, you know, in in that area to the to the east, you know, the, the two kind of areas that were recently declared as what attempting to be independent, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, but it, it seems to be a much more widespread um, attack that Ukraine is, is is undergoing at present. Uh... I think currently, um, like, I, I can only say currently about my city because, uh, like, even I'm talking with more guys uh, from other cities, it's all just talks for now. And, uh, you know, we have to be careful with news and all that panic because panic is also something that moves everything. Like, uh, we, I also see a lot of people in queues uh, for banks, for shops, yeah, but we're still sitting here with best respect <laughs> and just waiting what to do next because I think uh, I don't see where we can go right currently from my side. And uh, I think if you are asking about the markets, <laughs> I think today would be just, I don't know, watching some panic as well because um, like Ukraine and Russia would be just blocked everywhere. Ah, uh, because like Ukrainian people are just in, in panic and just sitting and watching news. And I don't know what Russians do today. I only have some few guys that I already have spoken and they are like, they also shocked. They are just watching news and uh, I don't know <laughs> what to say, to be honest. Um, the the market. Yeah, I think I don't think the markets are that. I, no. mean, we, we, yeah. I think we'll, 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 we'll chat to you for a bit, Masha and Elena. Yeah. And then maybe we'll, Mike and I will do is we'll we'll have a bit of a chat amongst ourselves about markets, um, yeah, and about what the potential impact. But I think you've got a lot more on your mind <laughs> than 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 than, uh, than, than what is happening. Short, the, the, as a short US you know? turn, I'm sorry, as a short US turn off Swift for Russia. So 
Swift is is uh, sorry. Swift isn't work in Russia as for now. We we lost a bit of that there. Um, Russia is turned well, off from Swift. Is, is that the, well, the, the 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 transaction, the international transaction facility? Swift. Yes. Yeah, yes. radio. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes, it is. So the US make a decision to turn off Russia from from them. Yeah, to try and to try and limit um, their their ability to to do anything financial. Yeah. Yep. I think there's a swag of, um, I mean, the, the Pentagon is still yet to fully respond, but um, you know, there's a swag of, um, of, of, of actions that are, that are likely to take place over the next few days, I'd suspect, uh, beyond any, anything SWIFT-related to it. Um, you know, this, this kind of an aggression needs to have a serious, um, you know, a very serious response. Um, but oh, I guess we're waiting to see what else becomes of that. Um, I was just going to uh, mention, Masha, we, uh, some people might not have heard the, the conversation that you had with um, Andrew and myself uh, about a week or so ago that we, that we recorded for one of the earlier podcasts. But it, uh, unlike Elena, you're, you're actually much closer to that Russian border, aren't you? So you're, you've got, I guess, more limited options there is what you alluded to just before. Uh, well, you see that... Somehow it appeared that Kiev more, was more affected than my city, even I'm closer. Uh, in, ter in terms of the, the airstrikes, that Kiev's been more, more impacted, um, even though you're closer, is what you're saying? I'm not sure if we've lost... Uh... I think we, I think we yeah. may have, uh, may have lost. It's, yeah. it's, uh, Kiev is uh, in three hours from Russian and Belarusian borders. Yeah, and and so and so at the moment it seems that Kiev is uh, getting a lot of the brunt of the attack so far, Elena. Uh, Probably what uh, we are expected that Kyiv will be attacked as well as the, the main is the capital as the capital of country. To yeah. I'm sorry, I'm lost connection. No, you're right. We still got you. Yes, Kyiv is the capital of Ukraine. So president of Ukraine and the government of Ukraine sitting here. So they will try to attack Kyiv to make us scare. Yeah, so it's an initial sort of gambit, but, uh, I guess. The real fight now going in Donetsk and Lugansk regions, as uh, as well as I have an information, but I it's not confirmed as as most of information which which is uh, cir uh, circulated now that they also uh, get uh, some some something in uh, Kharkiv uh, region so all, all the regions which are uh, on the russian border uh, are attacked at the moment okay well it sounds like it's clearly an evolving situation and i think <laughs> it's 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 one of those situations where we don't really know what's happening but I guess, Elena, I think at the moment the connection is, is quite poor. And I know you're driving just now. Uh, so I just wonder if it's potentially best that you 
uh, concentrate on on the driving because I think safety. It's, it's safety. just a traffic jam. I'm I'm just staying in the line, and I think that walking will be faster. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I guess I guess like, we, we'll talk about the markets in a bit. But I guess do you, like I'll ask you both individually. Like Elena, what do you if you had a message for the rest of the world on what's happening just now? What would it be? What do you want to see the rest of the world do? I want for everyone just to remember how uh, important is each people's life. And this life, each, each and any people, worth more than wheat, oil, or any gas, or any uh, ambitions. Absolutely. I agree 100% yeah, with you, Elena. Agree. So take care of your families and think twice. And don't panic. I think it's also very important. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing, um, Masha, that you can um, you can have such um, such calmness in uh, in such a, a crazy time. Yeah, you know. At you least know, spring I'm... will come. Spring will come in uh, five days. So yeah. I, I I'm sure that we will uh, planting we will our go spring that, wheat. Yeah. And we'll uh, we'll have a competition with the Australian wheat on the Southeast Asia market in, in new season. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. But 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 Matt is right. You're both doing extremely well. It's always stage. it's always better to take competitions uh, on trading. Yeah, rather than war. Yeah. Yes, 100%. And I think Elena and, and, and Masha, you're both very, again, remarkably Optimistic. composed. Remarkably composed, uh, considering in Australia we, uh, we run out of everything as soon as uh, we have six cases of COVID. So, like, I think yeah. you've, you've earned everyone's respect, uh, the two of you. And the, you. again, just all I can say is... Uh, you know, stay safe. You know, you're our friends, and we want you to stay safe while you're out there. So. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. No problem. Well, I've got. We've got a. We don't got, have a choice. We don't have a choice. <laughs> no. yeah, true. True. Uh, true. But we've got a. We've got Brett Hoskins. Uh, Brett's asked a request to be a speaker, and and for everyone who's listening who hasn't been on a. A Twitter Spaces before it is possible to request to be a speaker. It's like the uh, the old Roman forums. You can put your hand up and speak. Uh, so Brett uh, Brett is a is a fountain of knowledge um, uh, on on everything. So Brett, how's it going? Oh, Brett, you're on. Yeah. You might need to unmute your, unmute your microphone, Britt. No, he is now. Yep. Are we right now? Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, look, I'm... Um... Sounds like we might have lost Brett as well, Andrew. <laughs> I think that's that's worrying. That the, it, it's, it's worrying, so... it's worrying Brett, that the, uh, the internet connection in... Uh, the phone lines in Australia are worse than the phone lines in an active war zone. Mm -hmm. So... 
that right. goes to goes what? to show goes to show how bad um, the the internet connectivity and the phone connectivity is in uh, in regional and rural Australia. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try we'll try again, Brett. With you, but if not, we'll just leave it till you. Till Have you I got you now? Yeah, you've got you now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, now we're going. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, look, just listening in, and um, I guess you know the message, and no, I hear from a lot of growers. Looks like um, it looks like he's Brett's speak- off. No, he's speaking. I can't hear him. I can hear him. Oh, uh, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and see how we go. But um, yeah. yeah, look, the message from Australian growers to our colleagues in the Ukraine is um, you know what, we're devastated looking at what's happening, and um, and we love the competition with you guys in in the grain space and for markets, but um. This is not how we want to do it. And, um, yeah, just uh, I guess our thoughts and prayers are certainly with our colleagues over there and um, just what they must be going. Uh, I agree, Brett. At the end of the day, there's no difference between a farmer in Russia, a farmer in Ukraine, a farmer anywhere in the world. We're all uh, we're all trying to grow something out of the ground with the limited, uh, limited inputs that we have. And look... Again, okay, obviously, markets are markets. We're going to talk about markets because, well, that's what we do. Uh, but the reality is that it is still a, you know, we're all just part of the same same purpose of, of providing food to the rest of the world. Uh, but, yeah. Matt, can you hear me just now? I can hear you, Andrew, but I could not hear Britt at all. But that's all right. I'm imagining oh, every, everyone uh, else was able to hear He it. was. He, well, if you can't hear it, I could hear it. He was very eloquent. And he gave gave a bit great uh, update on on how we're we're all in it together, uh, mm. and I think yeah. this is one of, one of the problems of um, of, of spaces is that sometimes uh, it's not the greatest greatest of quality, but we we get there in the end. Think of it as being like in a pub where you can't quite hear the whole conversation. <laughs> We've also we got Swiffin on. Twitter, please, please, Twitter. Oh, so, sorry, Twitter. I forgot. Where you <clears throat> yeah, my semi-anonymous pseudonym. Everyone seems to know who I really am, so I'm not sure oh, why I bother covering it up anymore. Thanks, Andrew. Well, well um, sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> ignore that last bit. We'll edit out on the recorded version. Uh, so, so we've got Twitter on. He uh, unfortunately is one of the uh, uh, one of the. Uh, the startup founders of Twitter, which was a dating app, is that right? Yeah, that was a nice sideline whilst it lasted. Yeah, thank you. I was unaware of that other existence of that um, site before I was given the pseudonym, so completely unrelated. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, on a serious note, um, I think that we all want to say um, that we are standing with Ukraine and we are all devastated with the turn of events. Um, and I, like Masha, I think, um, did not see this escalation uh, coming. I thought there was going to be some continued hybrid conflict in the Donbass, but it seems to be now taken to another level. And um, I'm shocked and appalled by the latest escalation. And uh, I just hope that things can de-escalate and it doesn't uh, get worse. So any talk of uh, wheat and barley is secondary to our friends in Ukraine staying safe. Uh, I know a lot of people in Russia are also shocked about this um, escalation and very disappointed with their leadership. So I think we need to be careful that we don't um, get all Russophobic and uh, tar everyone with the same brush because you oh, know, this is a polit- political action. 100% um, uh, sweater yeah. because I think that we've seen that in a, in a lot of cases, these decisions aren't made by individuals. 
these are made by governments and politicians and and we can't obviously <laughs> pin this on on the russian people because it wouldn't be fair to yeah 100% so uh, i was commenting um to someone else who was just talking about the economic um impacts of you know what's going to happen in ukraine and in russia with the sanctions and how it's going to change trade flows i don't know um maybe i'm uh, getting too sensitive in my old age but <clears throat> i feel talk about markets and economics at this stage is um somehow wrong <laughs> we can't just uh bring it down to that level it's too too basic um and he, i i know traders and analysts need to do that but um I'm going to step out of the conversation at that point. Yeah, that's cool. But I think that's like even even just now I'm thinking the same that it's like we 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 talk about markets all the time, and it's probably not the right time. We all know what's going to happen to the markets. You know, the grain trade is grain market grain prices limit up. Corals going to go up. Everything's going to go crazy. But I think we we're probably more going to talk about you know what the ramifications are in terms of even things like. Uh, you know, there's some pretty big ramifications on uh, the likes of. This is not going to be limited to just what happens in in Ukraine. Y you know, we're going to see. Obviously, I'm curious about look how sustainable are you know these type of pricing levels that the that, that the market's going to experience on places like Egypt. You know, and I think you know we've already seen you know a lot of food rampant food inflation around the world and. I guess this is another sort of nail in the coffin, so to speak, or, or, or another item which is which is going to get out there and it's going to, you know, increase on uh, on the food price that that we're facing. And those countries, I'm not sure. I guess how much they can really uh, face in terms of uh, increasing food inflation at a time of 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 of, of already strong food inflation so so yeah i'm not sure if matt's even here now i'm just trying to find him andrew yeah i think in in any case just talking about what is going on um you're right a lot of the major importing countries will carry on importing wheat from russia i don't think that um <clears throat> their priority is necessarily political and showing that they stand with Ukraine, they have um, to feed their own populations. And that will mean if Russia's the cheapest wheat, they will carry on buying that wheat. Um, I know you commented on that uh, earlier on Twitter. There was a comment from an Australian grower, I believe, and I think percent right. So it'd be very interesting to see. Well, I think, look, 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 I think if, you, if you look at a country like Egypt, they've got no choice anyway. It's, it's all very well to have a sanction, but they, they require wheat to feed the population. And yeah. so it's, it's, they're not going to say no Russian wheat. It's, it's a case of where they can get it from. And, and obviously the, the market's reacting to this and the price is rising you know, through the roof. Uh, we, yeah, I just, I just wanted to add that it's not just grains. It's also coal. It's also steel. It's also gas. It's oil because like... If Ukraine is blocked and Ukraine in war, Russia is also blocked. And everything, 
of those resources is also uh, impacting on the inflation. So it's not just grain. And uh, yeah, like the situation is pretty hard. And well, that, that's my point. I just wanted to share that uh, it's not just related to the grains. Uh, because, uh, of course, it's something that uh, you, you have to buy them uh, no matter where uh, when you have to feed your population. But there are many, many other things that like Russia and Ukraine are famous for. <laughs> Even inputs, for example, yeah, it's also related to grain somehow. And Russia is one of the biggest uh, exporter, unfortunately, <laughs> for this uh, today's uh, topic. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's that's another thing we were going to sort of discuss about. If I don't, is Matt? Are you still here? Me? Uh, no, here, no, yes. no, 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 my, my colleague Matt. Uh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. My part, my partner in crime. He doesn't seem to to be here. I think he's been kicked off from the the account. He's probably he'll be back soon. But I think you know you, you're right. Uh, like it's it is just a case of. Um, I'm not sure if Matt's, he's, Matt sent me a message saying he's talking, uh, but I can't see him. All this professionalism. No, but I think it, it is really a case of we, we do have that, uh, you know, a lot of different inputs. You are right. You know, a lot of inputs on uh, in, in fertilizer, you know, large volumes of, of fertilizer come out of Ukraine and Russia. But I guess as well as that, you know, we, this is going to be an impact on, on a lot of other industries as well. You know, a lot of rare earth metals, uh, a lot of um, titanium, those type of uh, items that are coming out of, of that part of the world. And I yes. think it's going to flow through to not just agriculture, it's going to flow through to, to large tracts of, of the world. You know, I think uh, when, when we look at it next week, you know, I, I imagine at the petrol pump, if things are going to be, you know, a little bit more expensive when when, when we go to fill up our fuel. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry it's kind of hysteria here. Yeah. I'm just trying to play around with this thing. Sorry, we're just trying to work out how to get the actual... <laughs> technical side of things to actually work can you hear me now andrew oh i can yeah there we go we can. Back on. so i don't know what happened there but i could hear everyone talking apart well what happened when brett came on i couldn't hear him and then from then on i couldn't hear anyone talking other than you andrew which was disastrous just to hear a one-sided conversation so i've jumped back in i think now as meat watcher i believe i'm not sure how it's working but as long as you can hear me we'll keep going unfortunately we can hear you yes <laughs> there we go and hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it doesn't drop out again. So this is the uh, the joys of new technology, I guess. It seems as though uh, the, um, the the biggest technological problems have been in the Australian end rather than the Ukrainian end. Yeah, it's probably because we've. It's the first time. We're, only a couple of times we've been using it. So we'll, we'll 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 blame Brett because that's when it started to started to occur. Absolutely, Andrew. I've just sent you on uh, WhatsApp a brief synopsis of uh, why Ukraine matters just from a commodities point of view. You still got me? And not just on grain, but yeah. on other commodities. Yeah, that's fantastic, uh, Switter. Um, 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll, if, you, if you don't mind, Twitter, I take it this is a public thing. We're, 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 you're happy with us repeating it? Go ahead, uh, yeah. So, you know, Jesus, I've seen some of these figures before, but I'll just repeat through them. Uh, first in Europe, in uh, recoverable resource, reserves of uranium. Uh, second in Europe, in 10 of titanium ore. Second place in the world uh, of uh, mag uh, manganese. Uh, second largest iron ore reserves in the world. I'm guessing behind us. Uh, second place in Europe, mercury ore. Third place in Europe in shale gas. 13th place in the world. 14th in the world by total value of natural resources. 7th place in the world of coal uh, as an agricultural First in Europe in terms of arable land, uh, third place in the world by area of black soil, first place in of sunflower and sunflower oil, second place in barley production, and fourth place in barley exports. Jeez, there's a lot of these, and we're only halfway through. Uh, I need to take a breath. Third largest producer and fourth largest exporter of corn, fourth largest producer of potatoes, fifth largest rye producer. Fifth in bee production. Okay. Yeah. Uh, eighth place yes, in wheat. The biggest honey production in Europe. Wow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, ninth place of chicken eggs. Sixteenth uh, place of cheese exports. So it meets the needs of six hundred million people in food. And so when you put it into those sort of sort of values, you can see the importance, and you can see what is why it's. Uh, you know, definitely a sort of uh, an issue. Ukraine, Ukraine, yeah, Ukraine can produce a lot, but due to a small lot of, uh, population, uh, we almost we export almost all we that we produce. So we can we, we are really not just the breadbasket of the world. But as well as uh, you already mentioned, we have uh, a lot of very important for today uh, raw materials. First of all, it's uranium. It's not far, by the way, it's not far from Masha's place. It's a Dnipro region called uh, Zolte Vode. Masha, have you been in Zolte Vode? No, you know, it's, it's very not far. It's not far, from, it's not far from Dnipro. Yeah, it is, but just... It's, uh, you know. it's uh, uranium coal. I guess it's not a particularly nice place to visit because uh, the translation of the place is yellow waters. Yeah. I guess because they've well, been polluted by the. Uranium. Of course. Not the sort of waters you want to go and uh, swim in, I guess. Yeah, it's not a touristic place, no. Yeah, but grand grandmother of my son lived there. Great grandmother. Grand grandmother. Great grandmother. Great, yeah. Да, um. печально это все. Elena, I would really rather prefer we stay off uh, this emotive subject. I'm I'm British, as you know, and I have friends in Ukraine. I have friends in Russia. I, I don't think we should get into um, this emotive debate. Let's try and yeah, keep sure. um, yeah, talking about 
the situation and this is more about you know commodities than politics i think obviously we 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 have our opinions and we so can talk about that separately in, in case of yeah okay real great great point yeah so sorry if we talk about grains uh russia have to export till the end of season uh in uh, the limit eight million tons of wheat ukraine uh, have, have to export uh, near as far as I remember for today is 18 from uh, 25 so 7 million ton of wheat plus uh, Ukraine have to export uh, near 14 million tons of corn yeah I think the the, the numbers we know um, the exportable surplus uh, there is still a significant amount of wheat and corn to come out I think the bigger issue will be logistics and whether there will be some sort of formal or informal blockade of the Azov Sea and the Black Sea. Um, obviously... And the internal logistics as well in Ukraine. For sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so that's going to be disrupted. I think we're going to well, see, you know, force majeure prohibition situations where contracts will be somehow frustrated, um, maybe because of low prices. You know, sellers will use this as an excuse not to perform because they can sell higher today than they could last week or last month. Um, yeah, so we're going to see a lot of, um, I think, disputes and arbitrations as a result of this situation. Yeah, I agree with Susan and... Uh, Switter, even, Switter. Like, I'm sorry. Even this week, uh, in Black Sea, in Azov Sea ports, not ports, but uh, waters, uh, some vessels, some owners already just didn't want to go to the region. So even I was checking the freight rates yesterday and some guys say that for now it's getting hard to get some rates. But it was yesterday and yesterday nobody was expecting it will just start today. So it was already pretty hard yesterday and like a few days ago. So I agree that now could be some... Um, first majors and uh, all defaults and all that stuff. Yeah. Especially, for, for, uh, especially uh, as, uh, I'm sorry, especially as, uh, for example, yesterday uh, and day before, uh, some trades were happening because, well, while all the world market prices were just increasing, uh, Russian and Ukrainian prices were more or less stable. So some buyers take a risk and bought. So it's very, like, I'm really curious to see how it all just develops. So, 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 so Sweater, a uh, force majeure. You, uh, I know you know some people that know about GAFTA rules and, and grain trade rules, but for, but for some of the some of the farmers who are listening, they might not be fully aware of of what a force majeure is. I know that we've experienced a force majeure that's been in the press all over the uh, all over the, the press over here, and at least last week was being due to Bayer. Bayer has uh, put in a force majeure on glyphosate production. But can you give us a bit of a if, if, you, if you're free and you've got time, like what, what is a force majeure? So force majeure is an extreme or unforeseen event. Uh, it can be of God, an act of God. So that means extreme weather. It can mean blockade or lockout or strike. So it's something that is unforeseen at the time when the contract came into being. So, for example, when in January you concluded a contract for March 
delivery, if it's FOB or March shipment, if you've sold CFR. And there is an effective uh, blockade of the port or ports uh, that you're going to be loading from. You have to inform your buyer as the seller that uh, unfortunately the situation is such that we cannot perform this contract within the shipment period or within the delivery period if you've sold FOB because of, and then you give the reasons for the force majeure situation. You have to provide evidence. You can't just say, oh, sorry, it's raining. That's not force majeure. You know, you have to have an act of God or an extreme um, weather event, blockade, strike, um, export ban is prohibition. So that's a similar uh, situation to force majeure. It's effectively stopping shipment like you had back in 2010 when Russia uh, on the 5th of August banned exports of grain. So that's prohibition. So force majeure and prohibition, those are the two things in GAFTA contracts and other contracts that will allow a seller or a buyer to delay performance of the contract. And if the situation does not improve, then cancel those contracts. But it's, but it's, it is still, it's still a relatively rare occurrence force majeure to actually being called because it's not something that anybody wants to generally do. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do it sort of just willy-nilly, so to speak. You would, you would only be really doing it if it was really something because it's, Some, relative, it's relatively hard to claim, isn't it? Unless there's something really wrong. Like you can't just make it up. No, no, absolutely. So a force majeure is an act of God. Uh, another way of saying force majeure is act of God. So it's an extreme circumstance, uh, normally such as war or a very extreme weather event, uh, such as uh, hurricanes or extreme storms that can block ports. And this will allow the seller or the buyer, as the case may be, to delay performance whilst those force majeure uh, situations are being undergone so it's not you can't cancel it's not a default it's not a cancellation no, no, it's a no, no. delay you, yeah you, you delay performance okay but um if the situation is going to be lasting over a long period of time um then you can cancel but you need to take legal advice you can't just say oh we've got a situation here uh, trains a bit delayed oh, you know we, we can't perform here's an opportunity um, to get out the contract no it's not like that it's, no but you'll yeah. see when there are extreme moves in price that sellers and buyers depending on which direction the price has gone will try and use you know force majeure or similar excuses to extricate themselves from contracts okay uh, normally in, in i guess 85 percent of all of the disputes that i've seen um, as an arbitrator, it's down to price. You know, price has gone up, price has gone down, and the seller or the buyer has walked away from their contractual commitments to perform. And uh, lawyers will you know, use sometimes very flimsy evidence as a fig leaf to try and you know, <laughs> protect their client from you know, performance. But at the end of the day, um, most arbitrators can see through these flimsy reasonings you know to get to the heart of the matter which is price and price has gone up price has gone down that's what's happened look i think and and that's 
probably a good lesson for for for, for everyone. I think in, in Australia, and most most of the listeners are Australian farmers. Uh, the reality is that uh, in Australia, from from a grower point of view, there's there's a, and and to the trade, there's a bit of bit of uh, it's a bit more relaxed, I guess, uh, in terms of the the, the following of correct uh, contract protocol. And then in the last couple of weeks, we're seeing more and more people sort of saying, well, actually, you're towards the end of your delivery period. I'm not going to deliver. Uh, or, or, or you're outside your delivery period. Well, we're, it's default. And so I think, is a, I guess that's a good lesson of, of what can happen in, in an extreme, clearly, that uh, we need to make sure that we're keeping keeping a close eye on those contracts to make sure that we... Uh, we, we, we adhere to them. So at the moment, uh, Matt is is sort of a little bit delayed. Uh, I was going to get him on. Uh, we'll test this again to see if he can tell us about the Australian side of things with the sanctions. Andrew, I'm, I'm going to need to hop. I'm not sure how long you want to do the spaces for. Yeah, mate, I can um, come on. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I'll just, just bear with me one second. So, Switter, if you need to go, thank, thanks very much for your... Uh, for your contributions, uh, valuable as always. Thanks, mate. I will try and uh, stay on a bit longer, but probably not as an active participant, not as a speaker. I'll uh, might mute myself and let other people add um, no their enough. thoughts and opinions. If, if, if we say something stupid, just let us know. I'll I'll try and hop on if you say something stupid, which is inevitable. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm gl- glad Sorry, you know mate. us so well. Te- teasing is a sign of affection. See you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Oh, I've got a few requests. Matt, are you are you working or not? Is it working for you? Uh, look, I can hear you, Andrew, um, but um, I had to switch between the phone and the uh, the laptop um, to try and hear what the likes of Switter was and others were saying. Switter was saying so, um, but unfortunately, the the laptop feed was about oh, maybe fifteen to twenty seconds behind. So I was kind of doing a bit of a double take, trying to half listen to the phone and half listen to the laptop and listen to two two voices at once. So, you know, I'm, I'm back on. But, yeah, if, if other people are speaking, I think other than you, I can't – for some reason I can't hear them at all. Right. So, so you basically you're, you're tuned in to me and that's it. That sounds like a, a bit of purgatory. I'm not sure what the glitch is here, but it's – um yeah, it's painful. So, so, sounds like the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, so so before we've got a couple, another couple of people who, who have requested. Uh, we've got Yeti again, and we've got Jim Slip. I'm not sure who Jim is, but we'll add them on in a minute. But I thought I wanted to get your your viewpoint. You you spent time we, yesterday. We had the uh, Australian government brought out some sanctions on Russia, and uh, with the intention of, I guess, uh, putting a bit of pressure on on. Putin and Russia to try and uh, to try and basically uh, get them uh, to to back down a bit. Uh, so you spent all that time doing that, and obviously didn't work. So tell us a bit about that trade between Russia and uh, you and Russia, uh, Russia and Australia. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, so it was one of the first things we thought to look at, given that you know we weren't anticipating such a quick. Uh, response today in terms of invasion and just to see you know if there's any real impact uh from a from an australian perspective i suppose um yeah, yeah if there's any kind of trade-based sanctions and and would they be of 
you know, uh, warranted. And, and looking from an Australian side, the biggest, you know, on an annual basis, the biggest flow uh, going to from Australia to Russia, about 70% of, of exports out of Russia a year from Australia are actually pretty much one chemical product, which is, uh, well, we'd, we'd call it aluminium oxide or if you're in North America, aluminum oxide. Um, so it's, it's basically a chemical that goes into the production. Most of it, it's used for a few, you know, a few, few other um, reasons, but the, the main reason it's used is to actually make aluminium itself. So 90% of aluminium oxide goes to that. So there's a significant amount of that goes out in terms of just the Russian flows. Um, and then the biggest other thing would be live cattle. Is about nine percent of the trade of exports out of Australia to Russia is um, is live cattle from Australia. So when you look at it from that perspective, it sounds like a lot, but um, you know if, if you if you take into account um, where else we send um, aluminium oxide to and and live cattle, obviously you know the Russian situation for live cattle they only represent about two or three percent of our live cattle trade. So from an Australian perspective, if we stop sending live cattle to Russia, that's probably not going to be a death knell for the for the so live in, cattle industry. So in percentage wise, what is that? In, that that would have to be air freight then, would it not? If it's only two percent, uh, two to three percent. Yeah, there's not. There's, yeah, they're, they're basically they're, they're like they're going to be breeding type cattle. Um, yeah, so yeah, so. It's a totally different market than the than the standard market, you know, the the the, the um, feeder and slaughter cattle that go to Indonesia and Vietnam, and then there's breeder cattle that obviously go to China, but they're the top three markets. Um, Russia's, you know, in the mix, but it, month in month out, they're sometimes not even present, and then every now and then you'll get a you know a couple of thousand head or something or a few hundred head go via air to Russia. Uh, but yeah, for all intents and purposes, they could be in or out of that market, and it wouldn't make a big difference necessarily um, from an Australian perspective. Uh, with the aluminium oxide, um, Russia, look, we send that elsewhere, of course, uh, predominantly into Asia, uh, and um, and and the, the the Russian component of that is about eight percent, you know, in any given year of our of our total aluminium oxide exports. So again, it's not a huge part of that market, even though that's the bulk of what we send. Um, if you're looking from, from an import perspective uh, from Australia and, and looking at, say, the big three commodities that come in from Russia into Australia, it's predominantly uh, carpentry-type wood for, for, for building and for carpentry purposes, which is about 30% of Russian import, imports to Australia. Uh, and then you've got 24% um, uh, uh, is uh, chemicals, and predominantly that's... Um, uh, nitrogen fertilizers, uh, and then the third one is about 15 16 percent is um, is uh, fuels, and, and that's mostly crude petroleum. Um, but again, when you look at the actual breakdown of, of, of where else we get those products from, um, you know, there's a significant amount of, um, of, of, of carpentry timber, in fact, about 50 percent comes to us from Southeast Asia, so. Russia, uh, again, a, a relatively small supplier of carpentry timber. I think they were about 9% on any given year. Um, so, you know, a, a reasonable amount, but, you know, you've got the likes of New Zealand that supply about 10%. You've got the US that supply about 14% of our, of our carpentry timber imports. Um, so, again, not a huge part of our, our overall mix. Uh, with regards to chemical and nitrogen fertiliser, we, we get a lot of that predominantly from the Middle East and China. So, Again, I think Russia is only about 5% of the inflow of, of, of that fertiliser product into Australia of that type. And, um, and your, your crude oil, uh, sorry, your crude petroleum, uh, Middle East and parts of Southeast Asia, um, 
send us um, more. They send us about fifty percent, and I think Russia are, are less than uh, less than three percent or something of um, of our crude uh, petroleum imports. So you know the overall the overall picture in terms of trade between Russia and Australia is that we're we pretty much got much more important partners. Um, you know, across all those commodities that come in. So it's not going to – we're not going to have a big impact on them in a direct sense and they're not going to have a big impact on us by not sending imports into here. Um, I guess the biggest thing, Andrew, would be um, the flow-on effect. You know, some of those commodities are important ones, but, you know, if we're – if Russia are not sending fertilisers to other suppliers uh, because of restrictions and whatnot, that might that might cause other supply nations that we do rely upon – to, to, to change their mix of what they're doing. So there could be some indirect effects, but the immediate effect of the sanctions um, aren't going to be huge from our perspective. So really, I guess, I guess when, uh, when Scomo, uh, our Prime Minister from those overseas, uh, was, was putting those sanctions, it wasn't necessarily that, that it's going to make an actual impact. It's really just a case of making a point and, and being seen to, to do something. You, there's limited options in terms of what you actually can do from, from this side of the world, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I think, look, it's, it's, it is just that case of, uh, well, what, what happens in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks. But I think that I'm guessing that uh, sanctions are not going to be clearly, clearly they haven't been enough to, to dissuade uh, uh, the Russian government. Mm. Well, if you go back to that, um, just that aluminum uh, or aluminium uh, oxide, I did I did take a quick look at that one because it was such a big component of the Australian trade into Russia of that product. I looked to see how much of that Australian trade, from a Russian perspective, how much do we supply into Russia? And it was actually about twenty odd percent, twenty five percent of the um, aluminum oxide going into Russia. Uh, which is the Australian product. So that's significant enough from their perspective. But then I did note that a much bigger supplier uh, up until, I guess, recently has been the Ukraine. Uh, I think they're about 35% of that um, particular chemical they used to supply into Russia. So, um, you know, perhaps if, um, you know, he's less worried about certain commodities, if, if they're on his doorstep and he's now invading that particular place, he might be able to, you know, get access to it a bit more directly. And what I'm guessing, I'm guessing a lot of that aluminium oxide will be from South Australia. Yeah, I'll, I'm I'll, guessing from yeah. from Aloha, Alcoa, is it? Alcoa, yeah. There's, there's a smelter there. I'm not, uh, you know, that's one or, of the commodities. Or, or, or Portland. Yeah, well. yeah. What do you mean you don't cover that commodity? Um, it's you one of the commodities. You don't, you don't, you don't cover every commodity. It's one of the commodities we we only look at very infrequently, Andrew. You know, we are only two people after all. Don't use excuses. Just, uh, we've got a famous person here as, as, who's, who's put their name up to speak. He was, uh, he was a guest, and I think, on our first uh, live spaces, uh, coming all the way out of Kansas, United States of America. He's, he's probably only on just to you know, comment on the fact that you spell uh, aluminum. Well, that's why, that's why I actually um, made sure I pronounced it in another way, just for for, uh, for our North American friends, so they know what I'm talking about. So Yeri, we've got you on. <clears throat> Hello, guys. How you doing? How, what, what time of the morning is it for you? Three a.m. Oh gosh, it's uh, one fifty-three over here. So it's, uh, it's early morning. So Yeri, we've got you on. I'm gonna get Matt to Hello, mute himself. What, what time of the morning is it for you? Oh, Matt, can you mute yourself? Oh, good, because you've got your speakers on. Yeri, sorry, one o'clock in the morning. 
Yeah, one fifty three over here. Well, cold night, and you're, so you're up late watching the news. I'm guessing. Um. Yeah. You know, I was surprised by all this. It, it caught me off guard, and you know, this is not what I expected. Um, and uh, you know, so given where we sit. Um, here in Kansas, we, we grow a lot of wheat and look, you know, this is a, this is a horrible situation and, and very sad in many ways. And so, you know, what I, what I wanted to kind of go over though, in terms of, you know, it, it, it impacts us and our livelihoods and, and how, you know, we have to look at things. And so I don't want to discuss anything in terms of price or where I think things are going. It's just simply facts and in terms of, you know, where, Russia and Ukraine sit in the wheat market. And then also I know Australia is a big wheat producer and you guys know that market well. So, um, you know, just some brief numbers on, on what's going on here and what's impacted, but I jotted some of these figures down and, and I thought they were kind of interesting, but so starting off Russia and Ukraine are 23% of wheat exports. That's global exports. So they're significant in that market. Um, Russia is 18% of international exports. They uh, produce 72 million metric tons, according to the last SD, uh, USDA report that, that I was aware of. And 36.5 uh, million metric tons is what they're expected to export. That was projected by S&P. And so far, they've done 22.7 million metric tons on exports. So there's a gap there, supposedly of 14 million metric tons yet to go. They do have a quota on wheat exports in terms of what they were going to ship out from February 15th to June 30th. And that number was 8 million metric tons. Now, that 22.7 million metric ton export number is down 18 percent year over year. Um, switching over to Ukraine, uh, they produced 31.2 million metric tons in comparison to Russia's 72. So they are very significant in that sense as well. Um, exports of 22.5 million metric tons. Um, and you get over into who Russia is exporting for. If we go down the country list, these are all uh, countries in the Middle East, Central Asia region that, that are the main importers of Russia wheat. So we got Egypt at the top. Then we got Turkey, Iran, Bangladesh, Nigeria, Lebanon, Sudan. I'm not going to pronounce this one right, but as, as I'm not even going to try. Is bet is Bahan? I don't know. Yemen, Vietnam, and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And, so, so, so when when we look at those lists, yeah, and this is what uh, Switzer and, and I were mentioning, and we were discussing it on a, on a Twitter discussion earlier on uh, with with a farmer and the, and the Australian Journal, Gregor Herd, is the reality is that all these countries. There, you know, there was there was a question: uh, Will these countries? Uh, we've got Sweater coming on. Uh, he's he's requested to be back on. He's probably going to tell you how to pronounce something. Yeah, <laughs> and and might be able to correct some of my numbers that I that I was grabbing out of the air here. But 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 I think but yeah, those countries are all effectively for the most part developing countries. Which yep. uh, you know are going to have uh, <laughs> they they don't have the luxury I guess of of having a sanction. Well, we can sanction a product in Australia, uh, but it's not really going to have a big particular impact on on the day to day lives of 
whether it's be as a farmer in Australia or whether it is a uh, you know I guess a, a normal civilian so to speak out of outside of agriculture, they're not going to be impacted by a lot of sanctions. But I guess if you're in the uh, in the Middle East, you know you can't sanction the the imports of wheat into into Egypt, Algeria, Azerbaijan, any of those type of places uh, because of the fact that we we they need to get those products in. So, right. so w- one of those one of, one of the questions I had for you, uh, Yeri. I know, I know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you out. I don't know if it's out of your comfort zone or, or into your comfort zone. I know you know a lot about metals and a lot about rare earths and whatnot. Have you got any insight into what other sort of stuff that you know that Russia Ukrainian area does? Yeah. So okay, it's not going to. It would take me a minute to load this, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to retweet the graphic that goes over some of the resources that are involved here. And, you know, it's significant. Russia was already a big player in the natural resource space. But when, when you look at the combined, you know, resources that they both of these countries account for, they're very significant. And um, I think in terms of just, you know, talking about it, it's best to look at that graphic because you'll get a lot more out of looking at that because there's so many different resources involved. Okay. But off the top of my, um, off the top of my list here, uh, Russia's 30.3% of their resource exports are petroleum, the value, uh, which is very significant. You got, um ukraine is much more centered in ag but you know i think you guys went over this to to start the call off but ukraine's also significant in iron ore they're big into the uh veg oil uh sector particularly in the in the uh sunflower oils um what else do we got here so okay well well Here's the I'm thing. Sorry. I I don't have exact figures in front of no, me. I, all no, these resources. No, you don't. You uh, don't need. You don't need big exact figures. Yeah. Just we're we're not here for the numbers. We're just here for yeah. the uh, the sentiment. But but lots of resources that impact everything beyond ag as well. Elena Elena was going to say something there. Yeah. I just I just I just want to add that Ukraine is the biggest rapeseed or as you call it canola uh, supplier for Europe. We produce around 3 million tons per year and almost, uh, usually almost 90... Uh... Oh, we seem to have lost Elena. A- Andrew, on, on Elena's point, until we get her back, I, I threw up a retweet on a graphic that shows Ukraine's projected share of world exports in terms of barley, corn, sunflower oil, wheat, and rapeseed, are- which are all... <laughs> They're all significant, yeah, and well, so we people are, want to uh, kind of get an idea of what they're doing. And, uh, yeah, Lena, I, I, numbers, we, and if we talk about European numbers, uh, Ukraine is one of the bigger soybean producers in Ukraine. Uh, as, uh, Turkey bought a lot of Ukrainian soybeans, especially why, while uh, Brazilian is unavailable. Yeah. Elena, I might just put you on mute just now because it, it is cutting off quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's a bit of background noise. Uh, so, but yeah, I agree. Like it's a, it's a massive, it's going to be a massive impact on, on the European imports over the next couple of months. 
I was going to put you on mute though a second. I had another question to to Yeti. Uh, if he's still kicking around. Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, like obviously, like we we see we see what what the what the, con- the conversations are in. Uh... Sorry, bear with me. So, yeah, we we see the conversations on 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 what the viewpoints are uh, in in Australia and, and and to another extent in 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 the UK. Obviously, I've got family in the UK. Uh, what's what's the sort of sentiment with with sort of the 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 general the general punters, I guess, in, in America. How, how do they think the American government's handling things? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I can't... I, I haven't had the chance to talk to a whole lot of people since this happened, okay? So, you know, I don't know how... I, I personally feel like this is a tragedy, and gosh, I mean, what what what, what could have really been done because you don't want to provoke, you know, Russia by you know fighting force with force but that you know my personal view is if they think that we would fight back they would probably be a little more reluctant to to be the aggressors they are but i think that the united states has turned into um risk averse in terms of of wars at this point in time and i i think that you know the you know putin feeds off of stuff like that and so he thinks he can get away with um what what he's doing without a whole lot of repercussions and i think that if he thought that there was going to be you know pushback on this he'd probably think twice so you know that's my personal view and i can't speak for other people but um you know okay so let me circle back real quick though to to ukraine and and you know it's not just wheat that matters over there as uh elena was talking about but you know they're pretty big in corn as well they're 16 percent of total exports in the global market they did 40 million metric tons on production which was up 10 million metric tons year on year they've been one of the fastest growers in terms of corn production globally they did exports of 33 million metric tons which is you know that's three-fourths of their production, a little over three-fourths. So they're big on the export market in corn now, and China is a top destination. So um, I'm just kind of interested to see, you know, how this plays out in terms of, of you know, the logistics and all this, which I'm not going to pretend to know. But in terms of how it's going to impact a lot of farmers uh you know it's going to be significant and again i don't want to talk prices but in terms of you know how we look at things from the farm perspective this is going to be an opportunity to go ahead and and sell forward production into the market and to lock in prices i think well you know to me these are going to be elevated prices uh and unless we get a drought, it's going to be peak pricing. And so we have to look in terms of what I would say is is not just, you know, this is this is good prices for us, but it's about risk management and and being able to, um, you know, lock in some prices here that can keep us going. And we need to be very careful about how we market this crop, because, you know, in, in terms of um, where we're at, um, on the map, it's a it's a place that struggles, and so these prices might be able to keep us uh, competitive a couple years out if we manage it um, right from a risk perspective. One hundred percent. Like again, I'll reiterate the points that 
everyone's made, I think. Uh, Brett Hoskin, Switter, uh, yourself, Matt, myself, and and to be honest, everybody we've spoken to today on the phone, which has been a lot of people because the phone's been rung, ringing off the hook, uh, is that you know we all want high prices. We're all as as farmers, we all want high prices, and uh, but we don't want them this way. We don't want them uh, in, in this sort of situation. That's exactly right. But but conversely, you're not going to not take those prices you, if, if, if that opportunity presents. So, uh, Masha, uh, Masha put her hand up again to, to speak. Uh, Masha, are you, are you still there? No. I, uh, yeah, I'm still here. I I just did it by mistake, to be honest. So, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. We're all, we're all getting used to spaces. Uh, so, so yeah, I guess, I guess, Yeti, that that is the issue. Is is the the fundamental sort of question, though, is that we've been asked is well, what's it, what's going to happen? You know, what's going to happen to prices? And I think um, it's it really is a case of well, it, to me, it depends on two things: severity and severity scale, and I guess. Time frame, you know, we saw we saw the the previous invasion in two thousand fourteen. It didn't last all that long, although they were obviously clearly occupied there for a while. But I guess this seems bigger, and and I think after speaking to some clients today on on hookups, you know, the the general sort of consensus is we just don't know what's happening, and we don't really have a huge amount of previous uh, sort of examples to to to. To really go off to actually get a bit of a, a bit of a gauge on how to uh, how to work it out. Matt, are you still here? Yeah, mate, I'm still here, buddy. I've just got like I said, there's that delay. So give me if you're asking for me, just give me a second to switch back from the PC to the phone because um, I'm trying to keep up. But I'm, I've been listening in. <laughs> right, right, I was just checking, uh, but I don't need to speak to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the background, in the background, just, you know, looking to see who wants to come on and typing requests to you and um, and just trying to listen to the, it feels like those old satellite ones where you've got the reporters, you know, you've got those spaces in time when it's go, it's going from one to the other over the over the world. I'm getting that delayed reaction, but never mind, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're struggling on with you. Hey, Yeti, quick question for you, yeah? Yes, sir. So... Like one of the, I, I guess I'm going to talk about economics, and we probably probably shouldn't talk too much about economics, but more more in terms of concepts, not not prices, not what impact it's going to be, but just more about sort of economic concepts and 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 and, and bits and pieces and general thought bubbles that emerge from my head. And again, if anyone's listening, if anyone wants to put their name forward to 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 have a chat and join in, or or even just ask questions we might not have thought of something uh, so what i was actually thinking was uh, when, when you talk about like a lot of products matt, matt went through a list of different products which uh, australia sends to uh what's it called russia and, and and vice versa but i guess one of the one of the things that we do have at the moment is that we do have a uh, <laughs> You know, Russia gets a lot of semiconductors and, and microchips from the United States. And that's been something that's worked for both countries for, for a significant amount of time. 
do we start to see, I guess, and this, this can be a question for anyone, I guess, is do we start to see different trade flows and, and, and changes? Do we, do we see, you know, more of a reliance on the likes of, I guess, the old bloc to an extent, you know, Russia and China becoming that little bit closer and, uh, you know, changing their supply chain so that they might not get affected by sanctions or, or export bans. It, is that something that, that there is a, a genuine fear in the likes of the US where we where Russia and, and the US has a lot more trade? You know, are we going to see that look sanctions and whatnot just tend, generally tends to find that sanctions don't tend to work all that well. It just tends to be that you switch around to another another sort of source. Is that a question for me, Andrew? I don't really know. It was just a um, bu- bu- just a thought bubble. Yeah, but, 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 no. but I guess I guess the question is: Do do you think that as conflict is now commenced, do you think we'll see a reshuffling of um, the relationships for for Russia to be you know a lot closer to China than previously has been? Well, they're certainly not going to get closer to the West, you know. Um with with what just happened and yeah i would i would anticipate and, and look i'm not the expert on this but i would anticipate there's going to be a lot of economic repercussions that happen out of this and um you know i don't think this is something that's really acceptable on the global stage for uh, a lot of the free societies and so there's going to be a lot of pushback um not just by the politicians but i think the general public is is not um you know happy about any of this so I, you know, it remains to be seen, I think, in terms of what, what might happen, but I, I think it's a very serious thing. And, and I hope that, you know, this unites uh, the, the free society democracies in terms of, of trade. And we put pressure on these sorts of regimes that, that you know, think they can do things like this. So uh, I hope to see some, some changes in trade flows and and hopefully some some severe action against uh, Russia for what just happened here. But you know, who knows what will actually happen? But we'll see. I think the next couple of days will be key to what happens, I guess, and 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 how long this sort of lasts. Again, it comes back to that scale and, and severity, and and we just hope that it's something that is hopefully blows over, so to speak. Uh, we've got another guest on. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're going to another culture. Uh, somebody north of you, or he's in Australia, but he's from the, the north of you. He's from uh, Canada, and he was oh, also, yeah. Oh, yeah. and he was also on one of the first guests on oh, the uh, Spaces. Stefan. Oh, Chief. So, hello. I'm just going to introduce my hello. I'm Stefan with Stone Age. So, introduce my wife to you. Um, she's a beautiful Ukrainian girl from uh, <laughs> Kiev, actually, and uh, obviously. Uh, I'm a bit upset and her wife, my wife is upset and uh, her family's upset. And, uh, but I just, I just thought it'd be nice. My my personal question is, you know, what is Turkey doing in all this? Number one, but I thought my wife should say hi quick and, uh, abbreviate and talk to you to everyone. Uh, hi. Do you want to say hi quick, Ali? Hi, everybody. Hi there. Uh, <laughs> My name is Alia, and um, yeah, I was born on the south, actually, on the south of Ukraine in Kherson, and one of the areas that's been bombed this morning. And um, then when I was 10, I moved to Kiev, uh, where my mom lives at the moment. So um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, I can just stop for a bit or um, do you want to ask anything? <laughs> well, I, um, guess, I guess the first thing would be, well, I guess everyone's thoughts are with, with, with the family. So you still have family back home? Yeah, so all my family is back home. One of my sisters is in Canada, but my other sister is in Kiev. My mom's in Kiev. My stepdad is in Nikolaev at the moment, and my um, dad's in Kherson with uh, my grandma as well and his wife. So all of those areas, and yeah, I only know about these areas because my 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 family lives there. Um, all of those areas have been attacked and bombed this morning, and uh, I have a photo on my Instagram of a um, burning airport in Kherson that my dad took, and I posted that. So it's getting really personal and really close to civilian lives, which I think would be the worst um, of what's expected. Um, at the moment, they're, bomb they're bombing um, airports and military bases, like military compounds, but I do hope that that's where it will stop. Hopefully that will not go, you know, further down to the, um, you know, towns and um, just bombing civilians and killing civilians. Hopefully this is not Stalingrad and not Second World War. <laughs> so, um, yes, but there is a big fear of um, electricity being cut off, heating being cut off, and um, obviously financial transactions that already have uh, been affected. Like the banks are closed. Um, this mo this morning I spoke to my dad's wife. She said that, um, yeah, food supply is a problem. Uh, petrol, like, yeah, big lineups at petrol stations and just... Um, yeah, people are trying to get out. Like one of the ladies there on the call, I think she was in the car. <laughs> Masha. Masha, yeah. Um, yes, um, very, very sad for me living in Australia, feeling really lucky, but also feeling really helpless. There's no way I can help. Um, feeling oh my stepdad um, in Nikolaev, but he actually has a um, a big IT business working with uh, Ukrainian Defense Force, um, supplying them with the um, um, I don't know connecting devices for I don't know internet or whatever communication like communication devices. So he's working through that. He woke up this morning and um, I spoke to him this morning. He woke up and he said, all right, well, I can see the airport burning. I'm going to go to my factory and see what's happening. And his factory is right next to the airport. Um, I haven't heard from him yet, but um, I asked him for some photos. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's where that's where we're at, I think. Um, yeah, big decisions. Like my family, for example, my sister is 22 and she's an artist. And, you know, she's due to leave Ukraine to go to Canada, continuing her studies in the Arts Academy. Like just time of big decisions. Payments, payments, um, um, welfare. Oh, I'm not sure we cut out there. Yeah, you're fine now. It cut off for about five seconds. But yeah, 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 so, but to be honest... Everyone's the, the, trying to buy Aussie grain right now. We're trying to, everyone's trying to buy Aussie grain, Andrew. Yeah, it's heated. It's heated in the home office for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I feel in my family, well, subjectively, in my family, my family is feeling fine. Uh, the feeling in the room is that we've known this all along and there is no panic. Um, people have been living with this 
um, fear and edge from 2014 when the Crimean um, situation happened. Um, so there's a lot of coping mechanisms that are happening. People are making decisions. They're just moving along with what they need to be doing rather than dr creating sort of drama and being you know, maybe emotional. I'm emotional because I'm on the outside of it. So I'm calling everybody and just want everybody to feel okay. And people are calling me, my Australian friends, and everyone's extremely supportive. But yeah, the Ukrainian family, it's, it's, it's more like fight or flight, I think response well, well, well to be honest you're probably more stressed out i know everyone if it's in ukraine is stressed out but you're sort of full of adrenaline but you yeah. probably got an you probably got an element of to be reality uh, helplessness at the moment that's right you, exactly. you're so far away it's exactly it's, it's exactly right that's exactly what i posted on the instagram it's helplessness and frustration for ukraine being a pawn in the world politics um which you know for any place for any country is why is me okay oh yeah russian there is friend. we have a we have a russian friend my best friend is russia from is russian from moscow so she does I asked for, for I asked her for a little bit of an insight of what's happening on the other side, so we can, you know, sort of react and maybe advise my family accordingly. <laughs> but she said she said that the conflict will continue till May eighteenth. So there you go. <laughs> what, 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 why May eighteenth? What what happens? That's then? I'm not I'm not sure why it was a quick conversation, but my parents also know that May eighteenth is is the date. Of, for for the for the uh, for the uh, like current state, let's say uh, state of war. Yeah, it, it a, should be a, as a public holiday on May eleventh. Or I don't know. Yeah, that's May the 18th, thing, right? 18th. May eighteenth. No, it's uh, yeah, that's the, it. Should be connected to something, right? There's gonna be a date because twenty third of February, which was my and my husband's wedding anniversary yesterday. Congratulations. Also, thank you. Um, it is also a national. I don't know. It's an. It's a Soviet Union Army Day. Um, or maybe the ladies, the Russian ladies on the call, the yes. Russian speaking ladies on the call. What's What's the proper name for that one? Yeah, um, it's kind of Defenders Day. Defenders Day, Defenders Day, but it's Defenders a, Day. I don't remember from which war it is from. Like when I was at school back in the 90s, I, uh, we celebrated that day and that was the boys day and the 8th of March was the International Women's Day, is the girls day. So um, there is a lot of symbolism in Putin's tactics and also the Crimean War happened right after the Sochi Olympics and now he waited for the Chinese Olympics to sort of, what, have they finished yet? Or maybe, you know, the Russian uh, teams have maybe finished or whatever. So, so, so you, there did, is a did, lot of... Did, did you say May the 18th or May the 11th? Yeah. So? 18. That is that that is the that is the that's the information that I've got. It's the anniversary of the eruption of Mount St. Helens. There you go. <laughs> Bingo. I'm, and it was also the the first the day when Emperor Constantine the Great announced announced the free distribution of food to citizens in Constantinople. Oh, so what? I'm not sure which yeah. one it is. <laughs> uh, but but we shall see. Uh, yeah. Look, I guess you know, and I think yeah, it's, it's, it's again, it's great to have views from people who you know are connected to Ukraine, mm. uh, and it is sort of one of those things that you know it's, it's just a horrific sort of thing. And I think I don't know what you thought, Stefan, but you talked to a lot of people in the grain trade. But I think the general per perception was that hopefully nothing goes wrong. 
uh, up until probably well, at least that, up until this right. week. But I think what the Putin strategy is anti- unpredictability. So my view is that he has many plays in play and he he just pulls the options that are needed for the time for the time be that that's my view i think pre- to predict him is probably the worst job you can have so so St- stefan you asked a question as well about Turkey. My phone's dead. <laughs> well i said my words so that's good i'm actually making stefan you still there are you both there I think we've lost you, Andrew. Andrew, that was the um, that was the question I was going to actually pose because I, I did hear Stefan mention something about what's Turkey doing, and I did see it's a bit hard in this instance when you've got, you know, there's some talk of uh, you know a little bit of false reporting going on, and there's a lot of stuff like with these fluid events. There's a lot of things that come up on uh, social media that you're not sure how accurate the source is, but. There was something come that looked to come from uh, a US official that has connections to kind of you know, Pentagon type stuff, and the, the Twitter account seemed to be reputable, but it's always hard to tell. But there was a suggestion that um, that a Turkish plane had been flown in a couple of hours before the bombing started and sitting in a southern one of the southern airports um, to to take out the like like fly out the Ukrainian uh, political. Uh, you know, kind of the the, the Prime Minister uh, Zelensky and um, and uh, others, if they need to evacuate. But there's some discussion that, that it's a bit of a Russian trap that, that that put the Turks up to it. Is what the the nature think, of the nature think, of the tweet was. And I think that's probably a very important thing to actually say. We haven't actually mentioned at all in in this discussion was the cyber attacks and cyber crimes because there was cyber attacks yesterday in Ukraine, and we do know that. You know, a lot of investigations of things like elections in the last five years. I think even the Scottish independence referendum, uh, there was reports of, you know, Russian cyber activity uh, trying to push the vote to an independence vote. So I think it is important to, to bear in mind that a lot of what we see on Twitter or TikTok or whatever it may be, may not necessarily be quite as uh, valid as it as it looks like on face value i guess um but but going back to turkey you know we're going to see all that kind of false flag and i think that's probably the issue with with information flows at the moment is that it's it's so easy to get information it's so easy to get a picture from uh, you know a stock image then throw it up and say oh here's something else that's happened here's the uh, ukrainian politicians leaving the country and uh then just to, it's obviously that it's sort of that psyops, isn't it? Psychological operations, I guess. But but going back to just just a quick one, uh, Stefan had mentioned. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still here, but what's happening with with Turkey and Ukraine? Uh, and I think it's been announced that Ukraine's requesting that uh, the Turkey close down the Bosporus uh, to 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 stop uh, Russian ships from from going through and to and to reduce access. So, uh, so yeah, and and I've got a message from Stefan saying this phone app eats batteries, and he is right; it does eat through batteries like I don't know what. Uh, so that is one thing. Uh, but but Matt, I don't know if you're still there. So false flags. 
I am still here, mate. I'm, uh, I just uh, I just keep putting myself on mute so I can um, make sure I'm not making too much background noise. But uh, so yeah, you, look- just, just, this might be a bit boring for people listening on the podcast. I just want to ask a few technical things. Have you are you on your Wi-Fi just now? I am, mate. Uh, I am on uh, actually the the mobile is on uh, 4G, so I can switch that to Wi-Fi if you want me to. Yeah, stick on to Wi-Fi because that might work. You know, with you're uh, using your. Uh, well, that's a Te- nice test. You're, you're <laughs> yeah. using your uh, Tesla-made Skylink thingy-jig. The Starlink, yeah, the Starlink. Elon Musk yeah. Starlink. Uh, it's I've I've seen actually on a bit of a we're doing a a, a Hoiberg tangent here on a live podcast, but it's um I've noticed actually there's been a big pickup in regional rural kind of people that are getting very frustrated with NBN and uh, finally making the move to Starlink. Mate, but I I reckon that's worse now than it was before. What the NBN you mean? No, is it working? Speak again. Yeah, I've just, I've just, no, that's, I'm, that's I'm on it now, mate. No, it was probably no, just, much, con- it was probably better. just connecting across. Um, okay. Yeah, so uh, I don't think it'll help with the lag at all. For some reason, the the laptop lags the actual conversation on the phone by about twenty seconds. But um, yeah, the, just that that Toyberg tangent around that NBN situation. Since I've moved on to Starlink, the uh, the speeds I've been getting have been absolutely extraordinary. Uh, so, so, so that that was an advertisement, yeah, advertisement for... from Tesla, <laughs> blah blah blah. And anyway, we were not going to talk about them because they wouldn't come on our podcast. No, that's and, right. Stefan, sorry, you're back. Yeah, I'm not. Can you hear me there? Or, uh... Yeah, I can, I can hear you now. Yeah, sorry about and, that. And so can I. So maybe Andrew, that little divergent uh, move to my Wi-Fi <laughs> has made it work again. I don't, that's a very odd glitch and, in the uh, system. Yes, yes. Spasiba Belshoi, uh, all my Ukrainian friends. Um, I just want to, you know, what I want to know is, I'm not sure someone on this call can shed some light on it, but, you know, Turkey really controls the Bosphorus Straits. I'm not sure, and I maybe have missed them. Uh, Stefan, see if you were here two minutes ago. See if you were here two minutes ago. <laughs> my phone died, my phone died. And... <laughs> Stefan, you're supposed to be some bigwig trading guy from, from Sydney. You should have another five burner phones lined up. <laughs> uh, but and, and you should no, be, okay, well, I'll, you, listen, I'll listen to the recording don't worry I'll no, listen to the recording it, it's okay mate I'll tell you again I'll repeat it for, for the benefit of all the other listeners as well because there's, yeah. there's quite a few people coming in and out uh, but basically oh, my phone is actually quite hot everyone plug uh, their phones and these podcasts <laughs> suck energy uh, I've got one of those metal plates on the back and it's roasting oh, uh, anyway but Yes, uh, Ukraine has asked Turkey to uh, block the Dardanelles, and I might have said that wrong, and Switter can tell me that I've said it <laughs> the wrong. Dardanelles, the Dardanelles. Dardanelles, sorry. Dardanelles, sorry. And uh, the Bosporus uh, to keep their um, vessels out. So whether that happens or not. But yeah, you, you are, you're 100% right. Like Turkey is in control of that entire area, really, when you come from a, when you talk about it from an economics point of view, and that they, they could block that all down. And that would have a huge impact upon uh, upon their economy. But I guess the other thing as well is, are they going to do that? You know, are they going to risk that? They're a NATO uh, member since 1952, you know? And I think Turkey, Turkey can really decide what happens in that region. And uh, someone on that call might have a closer knowledge of that. But I, I just feel like... Turkey can stop all ships coming out of Russia if they want to. 
What's the what's the situation though? With uh, aren't, don't Turkey rely quite heavily on Russian military hardware? And, and uh, I, I seem to recall there somewhere that that's um, that's a wasn't that one of the sticking points um, recently with the US and Turkey? Uh, well, I think there was there was an issue with Poland, if I'm right, with with missiles in Poland at some point in the last couple of years, and US interception missiles or or something along that lines. Uh, but I think, you know, it's an interesting point you make, Stefan. Like, I, I couldn't quite hear what Matt said there because his internet's still crap. <laughs> uh, but, but Stefan, like, you do make a, a point. Like, they control that whole region. It's almost like uh, the Suez Canal type equivalent, really, isn't it? Yes, and- 100%. I mean, the problem with Turkey is they get 40% of their natural gas resources from Russia. And so, so, and so Turkey, and Turkey has been, uh, the, the Aragon's been in power there for 20 years. And, but I think uh, Turkey, Turkey, if it was smart, needs to make a decision. Who, whose side do they want to be on? They well, guess, the cards. But I guess, I guess, and I, I could bring my wife on, Stefan, because she's Turkish. But, <laughs> um, but the the reality is, uh, it's, it's a hard decision for them. You know, they're they're caught right on the on the border, right in that area, and they've also. I guess their, their, their economy's taken a hell of a shellacking in the last year. But will they, will they do anything? And I think that will be the key thing when we hear back from the rest of the world in, in, in the rest of the day uh, about what they're actually going to do and, and what is going to sort of uh, occur uh, ongoing. But I, like, I think it's a difficult situation. Like Yeti made a good comment as well about how... Uh, you know, the, the U.S. has to stand up and, and do something. Uh, but obviously, uh, it's a really tough one, isn't it, when you think about it? Like, I think we need to we need to do something, but I've got no idea what we need to do, I think. Uh, but, but the reality is that it, it's, it's anything you do is going to be pretty difficult. Anything that you do is going to lead to loss of lives, and it's about limiting those loss of lives. But I don't think at this moment economic coercion is going to work in Russia. I think they've got, you know, they've got big resources. Like, what have they got? Um, 600 billion or so in, uh, in currency assets? In currency yeah, reserves? Currency, yeah, they've been stockpiling currency reserves for a number of years. I'm not sure, Andrew, if this mic's working any better, but um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, better. it's definitely been. Um, you know, there's been a there's been a clear kind of agenda there that they've been building up for this moment, and even even you know, Putin Putin going across to China, in the weeks leading up to it, you know, who knows what was discussed there behind closed doors in terms of, uh, you know, you turn a blind eye when when I'm about to invade Ukraine and watch this space when it comes to Taiwan's turn. I think we'll we'll just have to see. I think the the. the... Yeah, I think Stefan, you've you've picked upon it. You've picked the point. It's 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 all Turkey, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I think it's Turkey. I mean, the other thing I will say is that you know, uh, and this is a this is a call about physical markets and um, Australian grain today is now trading ASX wheat uh, on the March contract versus spot futures. Chicago is trading at ninety three dollars a ton under. The previous record previously was $60 a ton under. You know, this is phenomenal, phenomenal basis levels we're seeing. 
Yeah, well, uh, like, that's, that's a, like we weren't going to talk too much about prices, but that's a probably not a price thing so much. But I guess I can I can kind of understand that today, you know, physical physical grain as well in Australia, ASX correlate pretty well with one another. But there is there's a lot of uncertainty. Like everybody was shocked; they weren't expecting it. And I guess a lot of people are thinking we don't want to be long and wrong, so to speak. But I guess here's a question for you, Stefan. Yeah, um, we, you know, in terms of, of of grain, yeah, we we've still got a lot of grain left uh, unsold, yeah, or 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 un, uncommitted to the to the marketplace, yeah, to the overseas market. Uh, but we don't have much capacity to actually get any more out of the country now. Really, like most of the shipping slums, sl- slots are booked right up until uh, almost till next harvest, really. There's, there's, not, there's, no, there's no immediate slots available, really, is there, that we can say, right, let's, let's, get, let's, let's buy some of this grain and get it over there and, and uh, participate in the market. It's just not possible in, in large scale. Is that what you, would that be a, a good sort of analysis yeah. as, to, as, to, as to why we won't see huge like basis levels? We're going to see large rises overseas, but not necessarily. Andrew- Andrew, I think you know. I think it's, you've hit the nail on the head. There's farmers out there in Australia who need to move grain because they need cash. Uh, I just flew out to Griffith and Wagga on the weekend. There's a shitload of sausage bags out there. There's there's farmers with grain in the middle of their fields and they got to sell. You know, SFW one uh, wheat track East Coast today traded three hundred dollars a ton track, but then you got new crop milling wheat on the ASX today trading four hundred five dollars a ton. This is uh, Deck Jan 23 East Coast trading 405. There's $105 a ton carry between SFW1 spot values uh, versus uh, uh, delivery for grain of milling wheats in uh, uh, 10 months out. There is fantastic opportunities in trading grain at the moment. And people forget two or three years ago, we were in a drought. There was dust storms. All the dams for irrigation were empty. People forget this. You know, we had, uh, there was no water out there. Now we have water everywhere. We have grain everywhere. You know, I, I want the world to know that Australia is the cheapest grain in the world at the moment. And people need to be showing up here and buying grain. They need to buy this Australian grain. It's cheap. It's well, it's, it's commercially priced. Uh, Stefan, uh, you, you did a swear word there. And, you know, I'll have, to, I'll have to point that out to you because Matt and I don't like swearing, as, as, as most of our listeners will know. <laughs> uh, Which but, did I swear? Did I? You did swear. And I said cheap, not shit. Exactly. You said it again. <laughs> you said it, you said it two, twice, three times now, and so I'll be sending a letter back to uh, uh, back to your wife, and <laughs> um, it's just it's not acceptable. But anyway, but but yeah, you absolutely hundred percent good point there. That the fact is, we have got the cheapest grain in the world, um, and it needs to be sold ahead of the next harvest. But I think the reality is, though, let's say, for instance, you want to come and buy, I'm, I'm going to use some hypothetical numbers, Stefan, so don't pick on me if I use the wrong numbers, yeah? Uh, you want to buy a million tons of wheat in Australia just now, yeah? Yes, sir. Uh, X Quinana, blah, blah, whatever, XWE, four ports. And when are you going to actually be able to get a million tons out if it's not already something that has, if it's not somebody that's already got a slot? 
like how how quickly can we actually move grain just now? Like how how I would have thought we were quite close to capacity on on shipping stems and even just logistical chains in terms of things like uh, trucks, trains, etc. I think I think one thing I will say is uh, there's a there's an amazing uh, group of traders in this country who are finding innovative ways to find grain onto vessels. Uh, you look at uh, Cargill, which has got an extra shiploader out of Adelaide at the moment, and that's one of the reasons why Adelaide is trading 30 bucks a ton above Melbourne. They have found ways to put grain on the vessel. Uh, there's another exporter in Brisbane, which has found a third channel out of Brisbane, uh, how to put grain on the ports. Uh, there's some very uh, yeah yeah I, I I agree with you. Uh, th th those guys are doing like like I love the ship uploader idea. I like the T ports idea as well. But th those are all operations that have, they, they didn't come overnight. Those are those those new those ship loaders, the cargo ones, been around for a year or two. What what I mean is how much additional capacity is there beyond what we're already exporting? It can't be can't be that much, surely. Why Why do we have to give it away all today? People no, forget no, about the droughts no. from two years ago where we were we were importing wheat two years ago from Canada. No, people no, no, forget so, this, and it, it makes me cry. No, no, people are giving away grain at the moment at 70 bucks or 90 bucks a ton under Chicago. Yeah, why yeah, are they doing this? Let, let, let me rephrase it again, yeah? Well, what effectively, the market's rising, yeah? And to capture that rise, if the market rises overseas, we want to obviously get into that marketplace. But can we, is what I'm saying. So let's say, let's say for instance, the market rose. Uh, um, we could capture some of that value, hypothetically speaking, yeah? What I'm saying is, do we have the capacity to get that out over the next three, four months? Uh, versus what is already sold and, and on the books, so to speak. It's more <clears> of <throat> a thought bubble, really. I, I, I think at a price, Australians will find a way to load a ship because I've seen this, you got you know you got individuals down at Geelong, Brisbane, Adelaide, Bunbury. There's people out there who have learned how to load a ship uh, if they have to. We can load a ship at fifty, sixty, seventy dollars a ton between delivered versus fob. We can do it, and I think we can do more. There's been a I, heap I, I, of wood chip loaders converted to grain. I, love, I, love you. I, I, agree, I agree with you. I think you. You always find a way if the opportunity is there. Yes. The, even the wood chip places. There's wood chip places in Australia now on the East Coast who previously were sending wood to China are now sending grain to China. At a price, we find solutions. And um, I think Australia is full of innovative people who are hardworking. And if anyone can do it, it's Australia. Stefan, we've got the world's you, best wheat. You, you've already got your visa for the country, Stefan. You don't need to keep hamming it up a bit. <laughs> but but no, I agree with you 100%. I think it is just a case of uh, if the opportunity is there and it presents itself, it will it will find a way out. I've got, a, got Simon on, Simon McDougall. Uh, I'm assuming he's a, uh, a descendant of the Scots. Simon, you just have to press uh, your mic button. Hello, Andrew. Simon, how's it going? Really good, thank you. Uh, look, firstly, um, just thanks for hosting. Uh, I have uh, intermittently plugged into two of these. So, um, yeah, look, I appreciate uh, 
and you came and you came back a second time. They, yeah. the, 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 the description for that, Andrew, is like a dog back to its vomit, I think. Yeah. Matt, so, Matt if you're going to insult people, at least have a good internet connection. <laughs> is my sound bad, is it? Yeah, terrible. I, I probably, um, I just probably may have a bit of a comment. Um, and just on the back of what Stefan was saying, I mean, he's right. Price will dictate what, what the market does. Um, and so high prices will create opportunities for people to uh, load boats with augers you know it, it, that that's um, so anything is possible I suppose from an exporting capacity but um, the other point I just wanted to make was for the for the various growers or um, small consumers like dairies or feedlotters is to um, is to just uh, I suppose eyes open and ears eyes and ears open um, volatility does create opportunities, so it's about understanding um, your business and your cost of production and being prepared to engage the market. Don't be afraid. Um, there's plenty of people that see high prices and don't engage the market. Um, so, uh, you know... Remind, reminds me of... A, sorry, I'm sorry to, sorry to butt in. There's a really good point you made there about don't be afraid of engaging with the market, and and because what like we've all had like Simon, you've been working the grain trade for a long time, yeah. Yep. And well, I'm not saying you're old, but you've been in in the in the grain trade a while. Uh, but the reality is that you get this sort of phase where the market starts rising, yep. and then there's the view of uh, let's it's going to keep rising forever. And you know, and so you don't do anything on the way up. And then when it, I'm not advising anyone to do anything. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, do what you want to do. And you tend to find that you start doing action on the market as it's falling. As, a, as more people, more people growers, I think, end up uh, sort of selling grain as it's coming down, as opposed to as it's going up. And I think I think that's a, that's a real good point to say. Well keep a, a close eye on the market because like we say we're, we're talking about a volatile market which has gone up let's call it 70 aussie dollars in three days on global markets mm. um but you have to keep a real close eye on it and and so, so simon we're, 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 you're in queensland yeah no i'm in uh i'm in the wonderful uh uh tamworth new south wales um oh. just on the eastern edge of the uh of the liverpool plains Ah, oh, so southern Queensland. <laughs> we do drink a little bit of forex gold down here, but uh, that's about as close as we get. And uh, and how so? How are, how are things going? Up? Sorry, off, off topic slightly, but how are things going with the uh, the sorghum crop in that neck of the woods? There'll be some sorghum there, is there? Yeah, a lot of sorghum here. Um, so uh, look, I would. Um, uh, look, the sorghum crop would probably be best described as a nine and a half out of ten. Um, there's not a lot of harvest. Well, I mean, there's harvest north of Narrabri, which is part of what I cover, but certainly south of Narrabri, it's all sitting there um, about to be desiccated um, and will be harvested probably over the next 10 to 12 weeks, weather permitting. Um, it looks, yeah, it, 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 it looks fantastic. I know. Well, it's good. Like, it's good to hear that 
you know, it's nine and a half, so there's still a, still a bit of improvement that can go on. So, so it could do better. Yeah, but but, but good enough. Yeah, and and that's what what sorry, in terms of the export market at the moment for that export market is pretty strong. Uh look, yeah, I mean, if yeah, in the Newcastle zone, I I would call it moderate. Um, it's probably stronger in the Brisbane zone, and and that's a function of having um, some competition. Uh, whereas the competition in the Newcastle zone is is low and and limited. Um, but look, if you if you come back to the farm gate for a minute, you know if if I was to be as bold to suggest, you know, the farmer's going to pull off a yield here, probably between seven and ten tons to the hectare at an average price of two hundred and eighty dollars a ton on farm. I think most of most sorghum growers would um, would probably kick a box or two with that sort of a gross margin at the farm gate. Yeah, well, look, I guess that's a bit of good news for farmers uh, in, in that area. Where, where's most of sor- sorghum? Most of the sorghum still going to China at the moment. You reckon? Ah, uh, look, it's going well. I suppose from my trading, you know, we're largely focused on the domestic market. So, um, but what, you know, it's all ports and boxes. Uh, There's maybe a tiny bit of domestic feed, be it pet food or um, poultry. But I would say the lion's share is is, um, bulk exports, closely followed by boxes. I know, Simon. I'm losing you a little bit. We've got we've got someone else who put their uh, who put their hand up. Uh, Aditya from Platts. You have to put yourself off mute. What time is it anyway, Matt? Yeah, I'm here, mate. It's uh, quarter to eight our time. Quarter. Eight. Do you want to start wrapping it up? I guess or. Oh, look, I think um, when we have deviated a bit from the original topic was to, to see what we could find out, what was going on uh, in, in Ukraine and, and then also have a chat about, you know, implications for sanctions, which I think we've covered off on. Um, I don't know if we've spoken much about, you know, further implications for the Australian sector. I'm not sure if you wanted to kind of do a bit of a quick summary on that. Maybe I have noted that, um, that you know, as the, as the invasion was proceeding, we saw... You know, the Aussie dollar getting sold off, that's a normal reaction to um, risky scenarios. The Aussie dollar is a kind of currency. When there's unknown risks in the global sphere, the first reaction of the currency community is to sell the Aussie just because, you know, it's, it, that's the way it goes. It's a commodity-based currency and trade, trade um, needs countries to be friendly with each other. So any kind of dispute of this nature would impact uh, commodities and then flows through to you know uh, a negative impact to the Aussie. And I also saw um, the crude crude oils up, I think above a hundred dollars and um, one hundred and two. Yep, and uh, and aluminium pricing. So if you recall back to what I was saying about the aluminium or aluminium for Yeti uh, oxide, you know the exports into Russia and, and obviously um, from Australia and and and. Russia taking Ukraine aluminum, aluminum oxide or aluminium oxide, they uh, the aluminium price has, has got to a record level, I believe, just um, just in the last few hours of uh, of what's been transpiring. So there's some immediate impacts, but I'm not sure if there's 
any further impacts, Andrew, you want to cover off on? With well, to- I think, well, I think it tends to be when these things happen, energies is always the, uh, the one that tends to go up. And I think, you know, I've, 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 I, was, I was running on fumes in the old ute, so I filled that up with diesel uh, this afternoon, and it was a, a reasonable size queue, actually, for four o'clock in the afternoon in, in the old marsh. Uh, but I think it's, again, I would expect that we've already seen uh, prices of, of fuel, uh, which is at a, at a pretty high, rec- high level. So diesel at the moment is up to the highest price since 2008. And uh, I can anecdotally account for that as well when I when I fill up, when I fill up the car, but I think uh, that's something that you know is I can imagine that fuel prices will go up in the next couple of days. And I know there's already politicians that at the moment that are asking for um, basically sort of discounts or, or or a bit of emergency removal of some of that fuel tax. I think it was Rex Patrick. I don't know who he is. He's one of the... He's, a, he's an indep- indep- independent there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're calling it. But I think a few politicians in the US might be calling for similar sort of emergency sort of removals of, uh, of, um, of fuel tax. Because I think one of the things that we see is, we, again, we'll come back to that inflationary issue, is that we're seeing this rampant inflation like in, in Australia of, of various things we spoke with uh, the cook about that yesterday that we you know surely this is going to like high energy prices are going to be have an impact upon inflation as well yeah for sure yeah <laughs> uh, because there was a comment you know James Stacey made a comment to me today is uh, what's the difference between uh, sort of the cost of uh the cost of fuel versus uh, interest rates in terms of well, which if, if you've got high fuel costs do you really need to increase interest rates um well yeah i think um it, from that perspective on you know it, one leads to another though right because the fuel the fuel cost is, is is part of the cpi so anything that's going to push the consumer price index up is going to trigger that um that level above three percent where the rba has to act because that's the only way they can really do anything uh, in terms of their, um, you know, their charter of operations, or whatever you want to call it, is, is looking at that two to three percent band of CPI. If CPI is below two percent, they're pretty much expected to cut, and if CPI is above three percent, they're expected to increase. Um, that's really what they're meant to target inflation as their key priority. They have got a couple other secondary priorities, but inflation is the main one. So you know, fuel prices going up. That's going to be inflationary. It's going to, you know, if it's enough to push the CPI up to that upper end of the bat, you know, above that three percent band, then the RBA is going to have to act. So I think, it, you know, but going on as well, like so, energy is up. We can we can pretty much guarantee that. You don't have to be a, an oil analyst or an energy analyst to do that. Um, so inputs as well. I've, I've tried to invite uh, Willis Thompson uh, from CRU on. He's 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 listening. He's just a He's just a voyeur rather than a, than a speaker. Uh, so I've sent him another invite. So maybe he wants to chat about uh, what's happening in the input space. But I can I can give a, a brief a brief summary. But I think you know we've obviously got that big risk at the moment of uh, of energy uh, being going through the roof. You know again that sort of that straight away that sort of risk capacity that we always sort of see when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to a big major conflict where there's a lot of uncertainty, and I think that will be one of the issues that we will face is that inputs are going to be higher. 
and off the off the back of the, the sort of the effect of what is happening within within Russia and and, and Ukraine, and look, that's going to impact upon uh, fertilizer. Yeah, well, uh, that's but, what... but but it's also going to impact potentially quite heavily upon uh, chemicals as well, because a lot of these products are fairly energy intensive when it comes to their production. Yeah, and that's that's what I was alluding to, alluding to before with when when I spoke about the the just the specific trade relationship and, and and kind of levels that are flowing between Australia and Russia, like I said, are largely insignificant. But it's the it's the indirect effects in the broader market. So just because we don't have that immediate direct trading relationship with Russia for some of those key, or you know, they're, they're only small volumes that are being sent. Um, between each country, that doesn't mean we're not going to have an impact to the global market and and to participants that we do rely on for our product. Uh, so so that you know that's, that's going to see how that plays out as well, which doesn't always happen straight away. Yeah, you know, some of these market moves take time to wash through. Well, even looking at it, you know, you've got <clears throat> urea, ammonia. You know, you've got Russia, the fourth largest producer of urea, uh, ammonia, uh, second largest, and. Uh, potash as well, third largest. So you're talking sort of three major fertilizers where, where they're in the top three or four producers, which will have an impact upon supply, well, 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 directly or whether indirectly. I yeah, we is, just is what just on urea, Andrew. We, I did get while I was going through all those hassles with uh, my microphone and everything else, I was relying on a few other. Uh, you know technologies, and and I was you know looking to see what people were putting up on on messages. So we got an actual message sent by one of the listeners, Colin. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to try and pronounce his surname, but it looks kind of Dutchish. Um, but he was he was querying about those urea plants that are scheduled for Australia, but um, and, and just querying how long they're going to be before they're online. But we're we're looking at a, a number of years for those, aren't we? Is it something like three or four years before they're going to be up and functional? I'm, str- I'm actually struggling to hear you, Matt. But so you, I think. I'm going to guess you're talking about those new post, the new urea stations. Yep, yep, yep. So we've got one up in the far north of uh, of Western Australia. I think the projected uh, volumes are two million tons. We've got one in Lee Creek in South Australia. Uh, you can go back to one of the podcasts where we spoke to the CEO. Uh, that's a million tons, and we've got one Strike Energy in Geraldton, which again is another one million tons. Uh, however, I would be cautious. Uh, uh, I'd be cautious about uh, uh, banking them just now because even at the best case scenario, it's going to be four years, probably more like six years before they get an operational. But I guess again, it comes back to that sort of level of uh, um, they will provide a a bit of a, a relief valve, I guess, uh, ongoing in Australia where we'll always have enough uh, domestically produced. Okay, it's all going to be going to the global market and we'll be priced at global parity. But the reality is it means at some point, uh, if, if there was an issue like this, we would have enough domestically to meet our demand. Uh, I did get a message here from, uh, from Willis from CRU. He's actually still in bed. Uh, so he's... Uh, He's listening whilst he's lying next to his other half. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give, use that as the best excuse I've heard, heard tonight. Uh, but look, I think, yeah, I think the whole thing is really going back to the Russian thing. Uh, I guess it's a case of just waiting and seeing. Um, but 
you know, it's clearly it's it's clearly a lot of uh, uncertainty at the moment on on a topic that we sort of weren't necessarily expecting to to happen. No, that's right. And um, I think if we're doing the wind up, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that my sound quality is okay here because I would like to pass on our extreme uh, thanks for for Masha and Elena f- uh, for coming on in in pretty harrowing and trying circumstances and to hear from them what's happening on the ground has been invaluable and uh, and just you know want them to know that uh, we're all we're all thinking and, uh, and hoping good thoughts for them <laughs>